Sean, I think a week ago, uh, we didn't think Iowa would be in this position. I, that, that's, that's the best intro I could think of. Uh, really wild week, weekend of college football sort of shaped our, uh, our this weekend's plans, but I don't think anybody's complaining. Sean, uh, you and I are obviously, you know, we're going to be covering the game and the Big Ten title game. Uh, but look, let's just let's let's take a step back. Talk about how we got here. I mean, last weekend's results, Sean, were, I think, pretty surprising, to say the least, in, in Michigan and Ohio State, and obviously Minnesota finding a way uh, to beat Wisconsin, who I think over the past two weeks has just looked like a shell of itself. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, you know, it really hasn't hit, honestly, that we're going to Indianapolis this weekend, and I, I can only imagine what the players have gone through you know throughout the whole week because you know it kind of just happened out of nowhere like no one really expected things to play out like they did last week I mean Wisconsin has won what like 16 going into that game was like 16 the last 17 against Minnesota I know their most recent victory before last week was the one uh in like 2019 or something like that so it was recent but you know with the way Wisconsin played um especially that stretch down the year and Obviously, Minnesota, who by all means is a pretty good football team, you know, it, it definitely definitely caught a lot of people by surprise and definitely caught us by surprise. And, you know, when we talked about it too after the Nebraska game, how much of that changed yeah. in a matter of, you know, 20 minutes. Cause, you know, before that, before that blocked pump by Henry Marques, like I was thinking there was no way that this Iowa team is gonna win this game. I was <laughs> I was getting ready for the for the message board implosion. Honestly, but, um, you know, that's things turned out that way, flipped the script and, you know, here we are, it's been, it's been a pretty wild, uh, wild week. I, I couldn't even tell you who's like going up against who in other conference games. Cause it's just been like, so, so focused. In. Yeah. yeah, it's been, it's been wild, but you know, it's looking, looking forward to the opportunity and, you know, it should be a, should be an interesting game. I think people, you know, um, I don't want to ramble too much, but I think people have, you know, count, a lot of people have counted out Iowa, and I get it. I think Michigan is the more talented team in this case. But I think you look at it historically, obviously Iowa's had struggles offensively this year, but, you know, this is the kind of game where it's going to be – I think it'll be close. I think it'll be closer than yeah. people are anticipating it being. I think, you know, it, it is interesting, though, when you go back. I remember you and I were texting during the Wisconsin-Minnesota game, and I think right when Minnesota took the lead, I just texted you, like, three dots, and I'm like, Sean, is this, is this actually going to happen? <laughs> because, look, I, I thought Wisconsin was going to roll over them. I did, because I didn't know what Minnesota team would show up. I thought Wisconsin's defense would really spout back strong after a really, I think, questionable performance by their standards against Nebraska. But you got to give a lot of credit to – to PJ Fleck and the Gophers for finding a way to win. And, you know, it, it's just interesting. It's almost with this team, this Iowa team, like you said, this is the type of game where Iowa, I think, is at their most dangerous. Like they, they, they love this underdog role. And I think when we talked to Spencer Petrus this week, he was pretty locked in, but he was also really pretty candid about his thoughts about the matchup, which was kind of intriguing to me, uh, Sean, because the, the quote that stuck out to me was, he talked about, yeah, it seems like every time we're in these type of games, we are the underdogs, right? He mentioned the Mississippi State game when they had three first-round draft picks on defense and not that everybody was expecting Iowa to get rolled over in that game. Iowa wins that game despite having, I think, negative 15 rushing yards for the game. Uh, you look at the next year when Iowa took on USC 
everybody in the pregame show was picking USC to absolutely dominate Iowa. Brian Ferentz comes up with a great game plan, and Iowa just goes out there, and they get it done. And he just said, look, this is – it's going to happen. We're going to be underdogs, but I think they're really looking forward uh, to being the underdog. This is, I think, when they're, they're at their most dangerous – and, you know, even Petra said it's fun. It's the type of thing that gives, you know, sets the fire on for all of us just because you want to count us out. OK, we're going to show you why you shouldn't count us out. And then you look at Tyler Goodson again. He's his swagger and confidence like to the media is something that's just so different. Not that I was not confident, but they're not usually so public about it. But Tyler just flat out said, I'm the number one back in the country in my eyes. I think we're the number one team in the country in my eyes. If people want to say anything different, they can come. They can come say something on Saturday, and I think that's the sort of mentality that if you're Iowa and you're this big of underdogs, I think that's exactly the mentality you have to have going into a championship game. Because if you don't walk around like champions, I don't think you can be champions. And they're preparing like they are going to be champions. So we'll get into the matchup breakdown, and everything, Sean. But that that was something that definitely stuck out to me in all, all the pre like all the interviews throughout the week. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, you know, the pregame stuff goes into it, the comments, the confidence goes into it. But at the end of the day, it's about execution. Um, I think that's what we'll dive into next. But, you know, that's what it is. And, you know, these two teams are are fairly similar in some ways with how they run their offense. Um, I think defensively, they're fairly similar as well. Like Michigan's got, you know, the edge when it comes to athleticism, maybe talent on the roster. But, you know, we talked about that before with USC and um, Mississippi State, it, you know, it just comes with the territory. You're going to play more talented teams when you're playing with these bigger name programs. Obviously, Michigan still being in the Big Ten, but, you know, USC obviously had a lot of talent. Mississippi State being down south, they're going to get talent. Um, but, you know, it's just about sticking to your game plan and doing what you do best. And, you know, that's where Iowa's going to try and, uh, um, you know, win this one out. I'm very intrigued how Michigan comes out because I think there could be a huge emotional hangover after absolutely dominating Ohio state. And that scene in Ann Arbor was probably one of the more special atmospheres I've seen this college football season, at least in recent memory. Maybe it's because the last 18 months or 20 months or whatever it's been sort of, you know, aged my memory by about eight years, or at least it felt like it because of the pandemic, but it was a special scene, but I emotional hangovers are absolutely real in sports. I'm intrigued how focused they come out and, you know, Sean, it was interesting when you were talking there, it reminded me of another Spencer Petras quote. And he just said, look, it doesn't matter who the better team is or who the more talented team is. It's about who plays better on Saturday. And I was preparing like they're doing everything they can to prepare to be the better team on Saturday, because that really is. I thought it was a great quote because it's just so true. It's about who goes out there and executes the best on one day. It doesn't matter if you played out 10, if you played out 50. It's about one game. If Iowa goes out there and they play their best game of the year. I mean, they absolutely have a shot to win this game. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I – or if you differ from me, but I don't – I'm not buying the hangover stuff. Like, I, I don't know why. I'm just not. I think – the I, 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 I'm not fully invested in it. I think because there's an actual championship on the line, I think that's what could deviate that. But just based on the recent history of Ohio State and Michigan and just how insane the atmosphere was – I do think it is going to take a different level of focus not to be emotionally hungover. Um, but like, I mean, look, I think Aiden Hutchinson, who I think if I had a Heisman vote, he'd be my pick to win the Heisman this year. 
I think he's the most complete defensive player in the country. I don't think a quarterback's worthy of it this season, especially after Bryce Young played horribly against Auburn, CJ Stroud losing to Michigan. I mean, I, I think Aiden Hutchinson's been tremendous this year. I mean, they got a lot of leaders on that defense. Uh, I think Jim Harbaugh has his team completely locked in. Both line of scrimmages were incredibly strong. Hassan Haskins was phenomenal with five touchdowns. I mean, this is Iowa's tallest task by far that they've had all season. And it's just um, – there's just so many different angles I could see going into this game. But I, I think emotionally hungover, I think it can last maybe a half quarter. But if you're talking about is it going to last the entire game, is it going to last a half, I don't really buy that. But I think it's going to give Iowa an opportunity to come out and throw the first punch. Yeah, and I mean, when outside the Indiana game, you know, maybe not even Iowa State, you know, I'm trying to come up with scenarios or come up with games where that where the, Iowa has been able to throw that first punch. You know, I feel like it's been mm-hmm. slow starts lately. Yep. Unless Absolutely. I'm wrong. No, I think you're exactly right. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting about Phil Parker's defense, Sean. Because they're they've been so locked in this season, right? They've done a, they've done a heck of a job, especially turning the ball over. How many times has have opponents scored on the, one of the first two possessions against them, and then Iowa adjusts? Like it doesn't it feel like they're every team scores in the first quarter or maybe even the first drive against Iowa this season? I need to look at that stat, but that's something that's really stuck out to me, especially over the past three or four games. I mean, Nebraska um, did it, Illinois did it, Minnesota did it. Wisconsin did it. Purdue did it. I mean, they, they teams been able to throw out the first punch. And Michigan's not a team you can trail by double digits to with the way Iowa Iowa's offense has produced this season and expect to come back. Iowa has to come out and at least get a field goal in the first quarter. Uh, they have to throw the they have to throw a punch. They can't sit around and scout it out. They have to come out and play big time football from the opening kickoff till the very very end. They have to. Yeah, Michigan, I think Michigan is similar in Iowa in that, I mean, you know, Iowa's had turnovers offensively this year. There's no doubt about that. But I think their style of play is designed to, you know, I wouldn't say be patient, but be more more conservative, I would say. Um, I don't think they take too many shots downfield. Kay McNamara has thrown three interceptions this year. Hassan Haskins is averaging five rushing yards per game. And Blake Corm, their backup running back, who has, I think, over 800 yards rushing, is averaging six yards per game. Yeah. And their offensive line has been really freaking good. I think they've allowed – their starting offensive line has allowed four, four sacks this season, according to Pro Football Focus. And that's obviously not – like, they've allowed more sacks to the team with, you know, tight ends and stuff. But four sacks, like – yeah, your pass rush, like yeah, you know it can be impactful, but you know you're not. Opponents haven't gotten to Cade McNamara often, and that's something that, as we've seen with this Iowa team, I mean, look at the Purdue game. Didn't really get to Aiden O'Connell much. I don't think Iowa had a sack. Maybe had one. Definitely didn't have a sack against Wisconsin. But I don't think and, Grant Mertz has ever hit. I think his jersey is completely clean the entire game. Yeah, he might have had – there might have been one pressure, but I don't – I I mean, it wasn't really notable. Like, yeah. maybe it was the one where it's like, you know what, we feel bad. Let's give it to him. But those were Iowa's two losses, and those were the yeah. games where they've given up the most points this season. Yep. And, you know, you can't have that. you got to get to the quarterback. And, you know, we talk about Michigan's defensive line, but the offensive line has been so, so good for Michigan this year. And, 
you look at that matchup, and I think this Iowa pass rush has has improved at times. But you know, I think you just need those those couple those couple instances where you can get to the quarterback. But Michigan Michigan doesn't let you do that. Yeah. And that's where I'm so intrigued about where, how, where does Phil Parker go with it? Do they, because the thing is, Sean, Iowa's turnovers have been so notable this year, right? But they've waited for teams to self-destruct. They wait for the quarterback to become impatient. That takes nothing away from what Iowa's done. Michigan's not going to do that. They have not done that all season long. Iowa is going to have to create instead of react, if that makes sense. And not, again, not that Iowa doesn't deserve some of the the interceptions, because I believe that is skill. Like the turnover luck, I, I, I told you beginning of the season, I don't buy it. You force turnovers. But Iowa has to has to make the plays. They can't sit there and wait for Michigan to self-destruct because this is a championship game. This is big boy football. This is where Iowa wants to be. It's where Michigan wants to be. It's where every team wants to be. This is for a title. They have to make the winning plays. They can't sit and wait for teams to self-destruct. Like they're not, Michigan's not going to go in there and pull a Nebraska. They're, they're just not. So Iowa is going to have to find a way to get to the quarterback. But at the same time, uh, what do you do about the run game? Do you go with some linebacker blitzes? Do you do the 4-3? Do you do a 4-2-5 because of Michigan's elite speed on the edges just to try to combat that? I mean, this is a game, Sean, where I expect Jack Campbell at 15 to 18 tackles. Like, he is going to be all over the place. I think he's got a big-time game, especially if Hassan Haskins tries to get the inside zone going. But – I'm intrigued what Phil Parker is going to have to do. And, you know, I've said this too. This is to flip back the offense really quick, Sean. This is Brian Ferentz's most important game as a coordinator. And I think it's bar none. This is where, despite everything that's happened, all the issues for Iowa this year, that he has to come up with a big time game plan and find a way to move the football efficiently against this Michigan team. Because if Iowa comes out with no new wrinkles and think that the inside zone, or the outside zone's going to get done against the Michigan defense. It's not. Iowa has to take some shots downfield. They got to create explosive plays and they got to find a way to somehow wear out a Michigan defense that I think for the most part has been very good this year. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, you know, guys like Aiden Hutchinson and David, is it a Jabo or a Bajo? A Jabo. Yep. A Jabo. Yeah. We talked about those guys on the edge. You know, there's really not a ton outside of those two on the defensive line when it comes to sacks and pressure. But, I mean, they got speed, too. Daxton Hill, who plays the nickelback, which is similar to a position that Dane Belton plays at the cash for Michigan. He's got a ton of speed. Um, you know, they got other guys as well that, you know, there's just a lot of good athletes on this team. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned it with the offensive play calls. You know, you're not going to have a lot of room for error. And with Michigan's offense and how it's playing and how efficient it is, you know, you're not going to be able to force turnovers just by luck. I think, you know, maybe a player there, you can take advantage of it, but those, those instances are so limited and so rare that it makes it hard to, you know, rely so much on your defense when your offense really can't do much. And we talked about the talent on the offensive end for Michigan it's going to be it's going to be a tall task no matter what like i see why people have you know doubted iowa in this case because of the talent and you know on paper this matchup favors i or favors michigan so much more um and, you know i i definitely see that but yeah i mean it's just going to come down to execution if, you, if you're the iowa offense you can't have a first half or even like a third quarter 
offensively. You know, even times in the fourth quarter, offensively, like you did against Nebraska, against this Michigan team. I mean, look back to the 20, what was it, 2019 game where Iowa scored three points against Michigan. and Chance after you know, chance I mean, after chance. I mean, they were in the opposing territory, I think, eight times and produced three points. I think they had one play that was over like 15 yards, and that was like a pass to Tyler Goodson or yep. something like that. Yep. And you can't you can't afford to have that. I mean, and that was a Michigan team where the offense wasn't as good as you know. I think they had some talented guys on the outside and not whatnot, but it was not a. I think this Michigan team, you know, obviously record wise is better, but you know, I think talent wise too is better. Yeah, than absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're exactly right. I think that that played, I mean, Tyler Goodson, I think was the leading receiver in that game. And that's when he really sort of emerged as a receiving threat for Iowa. I mean, they got to the point, Sean, where they they weren't even running the football anymore. They were just lying Goodson out wide and said, please go make a play. I mean, Iowa couldn't move the football at all. I mean, talking to some people throughout the week, I know they've said that that was one of the more like one of the losses that's really bothered them as fans is just because of how frustrating it was to watch because Michigan did everything in its power offensively and special teams wise to say, Iowa, take the game from us. And then Michigan's defense just kept, they had eight sacks that game. And, you know, like you said, this defensive line's a lot better and Iowa's offensive line is worse than that 2019 team. It just, it just is. I mean, Mason Richmond and Jack Plum and Nick DeYoung, whoever gets lined up with those edge guys, Sean, this is going to be the welcome to real championship football moment. And that's not to say that they're not going to be good players down the road. I think they've really improved over the past four weeks. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson's the best of the best. This is where they come in, right? No, Javo's the same boat. So Iowa's going to have to find a way to throw some new wrinkles. They have to get Arlen Bruce involved. They have to get Goodson some open lanes. I think the inside zone is something they can utilize do their best to take the edge rushers out of the play. And I was talking to our 24-7 sports publisher, Michigan publisher, Sam Webb, and he just said, look, make make the linebackers make plays because at times they haven't been able to make plays this season. You look at the secondary who Michigan has, they always land elite secondary guys, right? They have elite defensive linemen, but the linebackers have struggled with consistency and the inside zone's really been working for Iowa. You have a healthy Kyler shot. You have Tyler Linderbaum, who is a lock for the Remington Award, in my opinion utilize that and go and get Goodson involved, then open up the play action. And, you know, I, I think we need to talk about this too, Sean. I don't know if you differ from me on this, but starting Spencer Petrus is 100% the correct move going into this game. I know there's a lot of comments on our board. There's twist, you know, Twitter's going nuts on it uh, when Petrus was announced, but Spencer Petrus has to start this game. And I think it's hundred percent the correct decision. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I believe so, too. I think from a big game perspective, um, it makes the most sense. And I know a lot of talk has been about, you know, Padilla or Peters not being able to move around in the pocket as much with Michigan's defensive line. And I understand that, but I think you've got to look at from an advantage point or if you had to look from an Iowa standpoint, you know, Kirk mentioned it. I know a lot of people don't get happy with this answer, but 
you know, Spencer has the most experience under center. And in games like this, that could help you a ton. Um, so, I mean, I I go off of that because I think, you know, experience plays such a big role in these games. And I think just familiarity. I know Padilla looked good in times when he was out there. Um, obviously, last week with the flu wasn't necessarily ideal, but you know, I think I think from the jump you go with your you go with your starter. You go with your guy that has been there, you know, played the most, been in the bigger games. You know, Peter Padilla has been in some big games, but I think with Petrus there, I think you just feel better about him under center. I I don't know what it is. I think you know Padilla. I think he looked comfortable under there, but I think for a championship game setting it just makes more sense that you go with your guy that, you know, has, has been there longer and has been, you know, I wouldn't say more effective, but just seems more comfortable with the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's won games. And the reality is if, if Padilla had thrown for three touchdowns last week and there's a hundred percent healthy Petrus, we aren't having this discussion because then I think you have to start Padilla, but with the struggles of kind of even the last game and a half, you look at a couple interceptions, the completion percentage isn't great. And, you know, Sean, the, the reality is, too, those interception numbers aren't really accurate because there were a couple more passes that probably should have been picked off, but the guys just couldn't make the plays. So I think in a championship game, you have to go with equity. You have to go with Spencer Petras. I think the team's totally bought in. And, I mean, I love Spencer's attitude just in the interviews. I mean, he just said, look, I got a renewed sense of, you know, or appreciation for starting because it's not taken for granted. Not, he said, not that I ever take it for granted, but when you sit out on the sidelines and you're forced to watch it, you get a different appreciation and kind of feel for everything. So I'm intrigued how he comes out. I think he's going to come out with a lot of fire, but ultimately, Sean, I, I think the game's going to come down to Brian Ferentz and what game plan he sets up. And if Iowa can find a way to execute that game plan against a really highly, highly touted Michigan defense. Michigan, I think it's going to come out hot out of the gate. They're going to be emotionally hungover, but I'm talking about how, I mean, if they win, they're in the college football playoff. And Iowa is an opportunity to go back to the Rose Bowl for the first time since 2015. If Iowa loses, I think they're likely going to the Citrus Bowl. I don't think that's set in stone, but that's as close to a lock as, as I, I, I believe there is without actually signing the die line or verbally agreeing to a bowl game. So, I think that's going to play a big part. And the other side of this too, Sean, is Iowa's won a lot of games with special teams this year. What LeVar Woods has done has been phenomenal. What a lot of these guys have done has been phenomenal. Michigan special teams has been absolutely fantastic as well. I mean, these are probably the two best special teams units uh, in the Big Ten, if not as a complete unit in the country, two of the top five for sure. So this is a game where Iowa, I don't think, has an edge really in special teams. And that's something that I really think have set them over the top against some other opponents this year. So obviously Iowa wants to play complimentary football, but I'll go back to this, Sean. Iowa's not going to win the game if they go back to what they've been doing the past two weeks. Yes, Iowa has scored 61 points. There have been two offensive touchdowns in those 61 points. There have been eight field goals, the punt block touchdown, the kick return touchdown. Can't really rely on that going into a Big Ten title. Yeah, that uh, that offensive touchdown stat is pretty uh, pretty eye-popping. It's nuts. <laughs> it's a, I think this entire team in general, Sean, I, I've said this before, I think, but it's an entire case study of how this team is 10 to. And again, they deserve it, not taking anything away, but they've done it in such a unique way that it, it's just weird. I mean, 
we've seen the national media guys tweet out like how frustrated they are because it just doesn't make sense, especially the big analytics guys. They just said, look, you don't know how. Sean, I think you put this on our board the other day, and I want to get your take on it because I don't think you and I have talked about it, even off the record. What was it? If Iowa has a passer rating of over 100 in the past two years, they're 14-1. and one. Is that ESPN? Yeah, that out? Was it, it might have been 14-0. and 14 or four. I think it was 14 and one, but dude, like that's not like a hundred's not a good rating. That's yeah. really not that good of a rating. Right. Yeah. The, uh, I think it also depends on, you know, what site you look at. Cause I don't know how much they differ in terms of that. I think Petrus is rating this year, according to CFBstats.com is 120 and getting the page up right now, but looking to see what the what the game log is with some of his passer ratings for more sure. context of it. Because I'm I'm curious because I mean he on pro football focus he had a number of pretty solid games compared to last year. You know obviously he dropped off with some performances, but I mean Wisconsin being one of them. Um gosh this website takes forever. But no, yeah it, it, but that it, yeah, the just just know that hundred is not not anything to be, you know, satisfied about. And I don't know whether to say that's alarming or just like a very, I don't know. That's just like a very odd, like, stat. Like, if you're court, if you're, what was it the last how many years? It was just two years. They're 14 to one. That's wild. That's what I'm trying to say is if Iowa gets good quarterback play and they get a good play calling flow, I mean, if Iowa's offense is average, Sean, they're probably 12-0 and 0 right now. Yeah, and you could say that for last year, too. It's like the whole Nate Stanley. All right, here we go. So, against Indiana, these are the ones that had a below 100 passer rating for Petrus. Indiana, he was 93.26. Purdue, he was 79.32. Wisconsin, he was 88.49. And in all the wins except the Indiana one, um, or all the games except the Indiana one, he was above 101. And then last year, well, this site has, yeah, so the loss would have been to Purdue. So, yeah, it was 14-1. and one. Purdue last year was above 100. And the loss to Northwestern last year was below 100. And the rest of the games were above 100. And they ended up winning those games. So It's wild. Yeah, that is. <laughs> it's that is- a crazy stat. I mean, Sean, there's just so many ways to go about this, but let, let me do a rapid fire here real quick. Impact player Iowa has to have on both sides of the ball in order to have a chance to win this game. For offense, it starts on the offensive line. Whoever is at the tackle spots, obviously Mason Richmond, um, Nick DeYoung, and, you know, depending on how much Jack Plum plays as well, uh, those two guys or those three guys. Defensively, I want to say Joe Evans because he'll be going up against Andrew Stuber, Stuber, however you say his name, the uh, Michigan right tackle, who is their best um, pass protection guy this year, hasn't allowed a sack this year on pro football focus. And, you know, if you're Iowa, I think you want to get to the quarterback often to make, to allow your defense to make plays. I think you could go with Evans there. And then I think Campbell is another big one too, but I'll, I'll go with Evans as my main one. I like the offensive tackle pick. I'm going to go with the obvious for me, at least. I mean, Tyler Goodson, I mean, you don't want to put the ball – you don't want to make Iowa have to throw the ball to win. 
just it's again this this Michigan secondary I think is good. Their defense is good. You have to find a way to run the football effectively. Put give Tyler Goodson an opportunity to break some tackles and you know to make to make some plays happen. You can utilize the play action game if he gets going. I think Tyler Goodson is going to have a decent day. I don't know if he'll cross the century mark. I think he can end up with 80 plus yards if that happens. I think Iowa will be in a decent spot. I also for defense. I really thought about Campbell. I thought about Dane Belton. I'm going to go with defensive tackles. Like whoever's in, whether it's Lucas Van Ness, Noah Shannon, I think they really have to win the interior defensive line and not allow a guy like Hassan Haskins or Krom to really get to that second level. I think if they get to that second level with some of their speed, I think that can be a problem. Stuff them early. Make Cade McNamara make plays through the air because I think ultimately you want those one-on-one battles with an Iowa secondary that's been pretty good. For like and not even just pretty good, but great for this season. And speaking of secondary, Sean, I can't believe we haven't talked about this, but Iowa is, sounds like Iowa is getting Terry Roberts back. You know, Kirk didn't really want to say how much he was going to play. I think Jamari Harris has grown up over the past couple of weeks, but you get Terry Roberts back with a little bit more experience. That's a big deal. Uh, Matt Hankins, his career is pretty much done uh, from everything we've been told, at least on the football field, but. Terry Roberts coming back, Sean, not even just from a, a cornerback standpoint, but the, probably the nation's best gunner when it comes to, uh, you know, defending the punt returns. I mean, I, I think that's a huge addition too. Yeah, definitely. And you're going to need a guy like that too in these types of games with the way Iowa's special team has been this year. And, um, you know, that's that's something that, you know, Iowa has quietly missed in the last couple of weeks is having a guy like Terry Roberts make some of those big plays downfield for sure. So, Sean, have you have you made up your final prediction yet? Yeah, I I've gone back and forth on it. I'm going to take Michigan by a touchdown. I'm going to go 23. Actually, I might go Michigan by 10. I'm going to go 26 to 16, something around there. That's kind of a weird score, but yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. 26 to 16. I. You know, I think this Iowa, I think it's going to be like typical Big Ten championships the last couple of years where the Big Ten West team has kind of kept it close throughout the game and throughout the first half. But I think Michigan just going to come away too talented in the end, honestly. I have, I'm picking Michigan as well. Uh, I think they make one more play in the fourth quarter. I think, again, I think Iowa shows up to these type of games and don't get blown out. Unless it's, you know, not to bring back memories for Iowa fans, but Christian McCaffrey in the Rose Bowl in 2015, 2016. I, I don't see a Christian McCaffrey caliber guy on on Michigan outside maybe Aiden Hutchinson as far as just pure talent. I think Hassan Haskins is very good. And, you know, the running game is really good. But I think Iowa's going to find a way to make this game incredibly ugly, which I think is exactly what they're going to need to do to win this game. I don't think Iowa's going to go out there and, you know, put up, 35 points and do this big, you know, like Ohio State in 2017. They're not going to do that. But the uglier they make the game, I think the better off it is for Iowa. Um, I, I did pick Michigan. I, I got them 20. I've gone back and forth between 24-20 and 27-20. to 20. I, I think Michigan will lead 24-20. And then I think they're going to get a field goal. And I think Iowa's going to have a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter. I think Michigan's defense just makes another stop. And Iowa's Achilles heel, which has been its offense. It just won't get the job done. So I'll go Michigan 27. I'll go Iowa 20. But it's respectable enough to where, you know, they really don't allow Michigan to really get going against them. But Michigan, like you said, I think ultimately is just too talented and they pull away. So 
we'll have our full preview up and our Ask the Expert, our friend Zach Shaw from our Michigan site. Uh, that'll be up Friday morning as well. So stay tuned for that. Sean, I think we got to talk a little bit of basketball. Obviously, I know everybody's focused on the Big Ten title, but with the way the basketball team started and with some of the stuff coming up, I think we should spend a few minutes talking about that as well. Iowa with a thriller win over Virginia really looked for a while like, is Iowa going to be able to sustain a lead? Virginia, you know, comes back from 21 down, takes lead a couple minutes to go, and then uh, Joe Toussaint hits the big shot. Gutsy shot, split a double team, saw an opening off the glass and in, and Patrick McCaffrey blocks away the Virginia putback attempt as the clock expires and Iowa goes into Charlottesville and, and comes out with a win. And, you know, it's not a typical Virginia team, Sean, but that's a really, really good win for Iowa. Yeah, especially going on the road. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be happy with, you know, maybe one or two more or definitely be really happy with at least one or two more wins during this stretch, um, obviously with Purdue on Friday, and then Illinois on Monday, and I believe Iowa State's on Thursday next week, around some some one of those days. But, you know, I know Illinois is not in the top 25 anymore, but those are three – or no, and Iowa State's emerged into the top 25, but those are still, still three really good basketball teams. And I think with the way Illinois has been playing, that you can afford – to get you can win one at home um, in Carver Hawkeye Arena. I know Kempom has them favorite to win by four. Also, having fav- Iowa to favor to beat uh, Iowa State by four as well. Um, I think there were 11 and a half point underdogs to Purdue. So, you know, I think with that Purdue game, what you want to expect going into it, obviously, you know, it's going to be tough to beat Purdue and Mackey Arena with the way they've been playing, but. You want to see you want to see growth, and I think one of the encouraging things that I saw on Monday from this Iowa team is I I really liked what I saw from Philip Bracha. I yeah. thought him down low was a really valuable piece, and we talk about how Iowa's interior play is one of the big question marks this season. But you know, I thought he held his own against Caden Shedrick. Um, you know, maybe gave up a couple rebounds here and there that weren't too. Weren't too uh, aesthetically pleasing to Fran Fran McCaffrey, but um, I think you know with the way he played, with the way he handled himself, I thought I thought it was uh, I thought it was productive, and that that was a good sign going into this Purdue game because you know even the next two games, I was going to have their hands full with guys down low for sure, and you know I'd like to see more of the guys behind Robracho as well. I think something, Sean. I mean, you talk about Iowa going into Mackey Arena. I think a couple things to note: one, for a lot of those guys that game at Virginia was the first real hostile environment they faced. I mean, Keegan Murray's never played in front of a hostile crowd, uh, which seems kind of weird to think about. Chris Murray hadn't. Patrick really hadn't either. I mean, the only guys that have been really in that sort of setting before in their role is Jabo, Connor. I guess you could throw – oh, and Joe, and Joe Toussaint as well. So that's something to note. But, Sean, I mean, Iowa has struggles in Mackey Arena, it seems like, every time they go there. I mean, they, I think they've lost their four, like, they've lost their last four times there at least, but they've lost by a combined 97 points. Yeah. And this is the most talented Purdue team that Iowa is going to face. I think Purdue's number one team in the country. I thought they should have been the number one team in the country in this week's poll. And what they're doing, Sean, on, on offense, you talk about Iowa's offense being stellar year in, year out. I mean, man, it's uh, – it's pretty insane what Purdue's offense could. Let me see if I can find this stat really quick. Uh, 
Yeah, Purdue is the only Division I team over the last decade to score 80-plus points on 50% field goal shooting, 35% and 35% from three over a seven-game stretch in a single season. The Boilermakers have shot 39% or better from three-point range in every single game. With Iowa's defensive lapses, especially in that second half, Sean, against Virginia, that's a very, very scary sign. Uh, I mean, Virginia shot 77% from three in that second half. But, Sean, I, I think, you know, something that stuck out to me, I meant to ask Fran this, why were they playing so much? I, I, I used to understand why they were playing so much zone in that second half. It really feels like when Iowa had good stretches against Virginia, they were playing man-to-man defense and actually doing pretty well. But it seems like whenever they went the zone, it just looked reminiscent of last year's last year's team that gave up a lot of open corner threes. Yeah, and I thought at times some of the rotations might have been a little quicker, but I agree with you. I thought Virginia, you know, left Iowa scrambling at times. I, I didn't love the idea of the zone either. And this this uh this Purdue team too is gonna give you issues. You know, I don't really know how you guard this team, you know, because you you front Zach Eady obviously in the post, make him catch it over the top you know, force them to bring it down and kind of, you know, scramble from there in the post. And, um, but, you know, you could do double him too. And then, you know, that, that comes out to, you know, cause I was already got the size disadvantage down low. And if you double Edie and Williams, you know, that leaves guys open on the perimeter. I think, you know, Jaden Ivey, um, Isaiah Thompson and Brandon Newman produced, top three three-point shooters all shooting 40% from three this year. And I think they've all shot more than 22 three-pointers. Um, I think Isaiah Thompson's like 14 of 23. Um, Sasha Stefanovic is uh, – um, oh, what's – he's – I was going to say, make sure you throw in Stefanovic in there because he has had success against Iowa too. And, you know, Sean, it's one thing for guy Iowa – you know, guy Iowa to double guys down low and the guys just try to muscle it through. Purdue's bigs are fantastic passers. Trevon Williams, I think, is one of the best big men passers. I think he's very undervalued in that aspect. He's been that for basically his whole career. But, you know, and Fran even said about Jay and Ivy, he thinks Jay and Ivy could be the number one guard take in next year's NBA draft. Yeah, and I don't disagree with him with how quick he plays and, you know, how well he can shoot it. He's shooting 43% from three. Um, Stefanovic is 47, then Newman's 42. And then you put in Isaiah Thompson as well. So you got you got four guys right there. And Isaiah Thompson shooting 60% from three. So, you know, they got guys that can fill it up from long range. And, you know, with the way that, you know, they get the ball in the post and the way they run their offense, like you got to be quick on closeouts. You got to be quick to double. They're just a nightmare to guard because they got so many different weapons that can hurt you. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I, I, I think if you're Iowa, I think you just want to go in there and, at least put up a fight. I mean, it really feels like Purdue's gotten off to a hot start every single time they played them. I think you need to go in and you just need to sort of gain that confidence that, okay, we can hang with this caliber of team. Because right now, Sean, I think, again, I think Purdue's the best team in the country. I think when Chet Holmgren's playing at his best, I think Gonzaga's second. But obviously Duke's put up, you know, Duke's got some pieces as well. And who knows about North Carolina? North Carolina looked awfully impressive last night over Michigan. I mean, they absolutely thrashed them. So I think there's a number of teams this year that are really making a case. But I think if you're Iowa, you got to go into Mackey Arena and you just got to like go in with a swagger that you belong. And I think if they do that and just sort of gain that exposure for a lot of the younger guys who have not been put in the in that position before. 
Yeah, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. And like I said, I feel like you'd feel comfortable if you you feel good about yourself if you hang with Purdue for a while. Um, but you know, obviously, Iowa has not had a ton of success as of late in Mackey Arena. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how how things come about, how things go down. I I don't like this matchup for Iowa at all, honestly. I think we talked about in our season kind of season preview this Sean this four game stretch. If Iowa goes two and two, I think that's a very big win for them. I think if they go three and one, that's, you know, obviously that's phenomenal. And I think then you're talking about, okay, can this team make an NCAA tournament? So I think if Iowa can at least win one out of the next three and two out of the next three at best, I mean, you're looking at a, you know, a team that really is going to put together, I think, a compelling resume for maybe a, maybe an eight, nine seed, which for a team this young, I think that'd be pretty promising for the future as well. Yeah, most definitely. There's a uh, this is the type of games that you know maybe not this year that you win, but when these types of team, when your team is you know a couple years down the line, then you know these are the types of games that get you ready for Big Ten play. And like you said, I think you know two and two in the stretch. I even think three and one's possible. Yeah, with I think Iowa State. I think they're a good team. You know, obviously playing above what many people expected. Coming into the year, obviously, last the in the Big 12, I think, by the media. Yeah, obviously, the wins over Xavier and Memphis were were pretty big. I, Memphis, I, I mean, I'm not very sold on them outside of Virginia Tech, but that was still a win on a neutral floor, and they just flat out dominated them. So, yeah, I mean, I think two and two, you'd be happy with that, but I think three and one, then, you know, that's, I don't think you could have asked for anything more, honestly. No, for sure. And again, you talk about trying to build a resume that the, these are the resume building wins you need going into yeah. uh, a conference season. So uh, we're going to play more content preview wise of Iowa, Michigan for the Big Ten title at HawkeyeInsider.com. Be sure to check out uh, Michigan.247sports.com as well. Our friends over there do a phenomenal job covering the Wolverines. Be sure to get their perspective on the matchup. We have some con- collaborative content coming out over the next 24 hours or so. So stay tuned for that. And be sure to follow us at Hawkeye Insider. Hawkeye is on 247 on Twitter, at David Eichel, at SBOC 247. And also, it's it's worth noting, too, that we still have 50% off an annual subscription to HawkeyeInsider.com in honor of Championship Week. We had a phenomenal turnout for our Black Friday sales. So we want to keep it going at least a little bit longer. So be sure to check out HawkeyeInsider.com uh, for those details, and we'd love to have you aboard our community for what I think is going to be an incredibly exciting week. And we're going to have a bunch of coverage on that. So uh, for Sean Bach, David Eichel and 24 seven sports, we will, uh, we'll talk to you in Indy. Thanks. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old, whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.